This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Once again, we have nailed our intro after the disaster that oh, was last, last week, week's last intro. week. Oh, oh my God! I just thought you were going to come to pieces. But there it were was hev- there was heavy Oreo influence at that time. There was an Oreo infestation in I my think gut. Very much. So. Yes, yes, and a surging, surging glucose levels. I have purged all the Oreos in a totally organic and non-self-destructive way before the recording of this podcast, so we can all rest much easier. And Eric Shaw Quinn, we are introducing something entirely new on the Isn't podcast this, exciting? this week. Isn't this exciting? Absolutely. And that is the music that pops into my head whenever I think of, what the hell are we calling it? We had five different names for it before we finally decided on one. And Grandpa can't remember any of them. And Grandpa. Which one of us is Grandpa now? That would be Am you, I Grandpa? Christopher Rice. <laughs> I'm Grandpa. I can't remember stuff. I'm My the back older hurts. One, but you can't even remember whether or not you're Grandpa. So that's what makes you Grandpa. Grandpa. Yes, it's I, um, true crime movie time. True crime movie time. That's it. That's not that. We had a much longer one that didn't quite work. So it's Christopher and Eric's true crime movie time. And what that means is that similar to Christopher and Eric's True Crime TV Club, we are going to serve up a movie that is based on a real life crime. And this week we are serving up crime. It has four syllables. Crime. I practiced that all week long. Crime. Crime. Um, King Cobra is what we are serving up this week. If you don't know anything about this movie, it is based on the real-life murder of a gentleman named Brian Cotchis, whose name is not actually used in the film, as we'll get into. They call his character Stephen for reasons that are not entirely clear to me. And uh, this was a murder that happened in 2007. It involved many players in the gay porn industry, and that is why Eric thought it would be good for us to talk about, because... Here at TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric, if it involves murder and gay porn, we often, often well, cover it How can we possibly resist? But really, the idea that initially inspired us was this time of year, you're home, maybe you have less to do and you're looking for movies to watch. And so, you know, true crime movies are every bit as there's plenty out there looking for Mr. Goodbar and the, what, the Snowtown murders. And there's all kinds of really good uh, movies based on true crimes. I, and this one just was one I hadn't seen before. Plus, it was so salacious. We do try and bring you the most, the trashiest and most salacious fare here at uh, TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric. And I, I think this really, you know, you, you'd be hard pressed to come up with something trashier than this particular true crime. 
Yeah, and the question of whether or not it was trashy enough to do service to the actual story is one that we can get into. I have done a little bit of research on the actual case that inspired it, and once we get through a kind of recap of the movie, which I really think Eric should lead because it was his first time seeing it. It was my King second time watching. Cobra Deep Dive with Christopher Deep Ryan. Dive. King Cobra Deep Dive. Now, uh, the usual disclaimers I think we're going to give now. We give Pat Morita does not TV appear card. anywhere in this film. <laughs> There's that one. Do not confuse this with a, I believe, direct-to-video movie about a giant genetically altered snake that terrorizes that a small town. pretty judgy, Christopher. I don't know. I, direct factual. to video you made it sound like that was a thing. Like that well, was it, a, a judgment on the film, right? These days, where the hell, hell, where the hell else are they going to go? AMC might not even exist after everything comes to pass. Well, I will tell you that after so many times of Googling the movie we're going to discuss today and ending up on something having to do with a page for the King Cobra Snake movie, I finally read the Wikipedia entry for it and I uh, discovered that it was meant to be, it was meant to beat Anaconda to the theaters and it didn't. And the filmmakers believe that this hurt its chances to be the great big box office uh, snake movie that uh, we would all be talking about. Was for Anaconda a great big box office snake Anaconda movie? was a hit. Anaconda was a big box office hit. Was the it? first one. I yeah. I, that's what I was like competing with, <laughs> right? Like really trying to rush to the box office to be the next, I don't know, Magnificent Ambersons. Let's pick a movie that spectacularly <laughs> failed at the box office. It was like, really? I don't remember it being quite that big a success. But, you know, I have to say I didn't follow the fortunes of Anaconda, although my friend Vincent was in mm -hmm. it. Vincent, my friend Vincent has uh, has died in more movies than you could possibly mm -hmm. imagine. Everything from Anaconda to Mulholland Drive. Vincent mm -hmm. has died. You name the movie. Vincent has died, and he died in The Crow. He's yeah. He mm -hmm. is. He's. Uh, I. He never survives. Poor guy. He's doing fine in real life, but boy, they can't wait to kill him when he gets on film. I, I think that's one of the great things about living in L.A. As you can tell people back home. Yeah, I'm friends with the guy who got eaten in Anaconda in the opening scene. You know, and, yeah. and that's more important than I'm friends with you know James Franco or you know name a star. Well, I don't know about that, but. Yeah, it's I up think there. it is. It's still cool. I get I more know. starstruck when seeing like um what was her name? The star of One Day at a Time, Bonnie I always say Bonnie Tyler, but I don't Bonnie think it's Franklin? Bonnie Tyler. Bonnie Franklin. Bonnie Tyler's song Bonnie I Need a it's Hero. It's a hot egg. <laughs> she wasn't doing that when I saw her. Bonnie Franklin. I was in a restaurant with her and I thought that was that was more I was more starstruck than I would have been with, you know, like some A-list movie star. Bonnie Franklin actually sang Applause. That was her big, that was what Ooh. made her a star. She sang that wow. song in, um, in Applause. Wow. What is it that we're living for? Applause, applause. Nothing I know this brings just on a glow. In? Like sweet applause. What? We are still gay here at TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric. Very, very gay. And that is why we're going to talk about a true crime movie about gay porn now eric shaw quinn i'm gonna put you on the spot this was your first time seeing the movie you don't know a ton about this case do you i mean just the big the you know the highlights yes the highlights okay and then um, of course all of my gossipy judgments 
Okay, and we want to hear about all of those because that is why we do this. I'm going to hold my fact check until later in the podcast once we sort of recap the movie. Um, I, but I'm interested in your opinion of the movie, Eric Shaw Quinn. I know I sometimes say that with, with hesitation because some of your opinions um, r- pop, off the, be pop off the screen. <laughs> they can be expansive. But what did you think? What were your expectations versus the reality? Well, I don't know. I kind of almost hate to do it first, but I guess that it's as good a place as any to start. I really, I expected more. Like, Mm. I thought that this was the most, this is such a strange comparison, but it reminded me of um, the way that they always depict Henry VIII in film and TV, where the only thing going on in Henry's whole life, one of the most noteworthy and, you know, active monarchs in the time period, maybe in history, uh, founded a new church and all kinds of other amazing things. But if you see any movies about him, you think the only thing he's thinking about is who will I marry next? And who's, you know, who can I get pregnant? Like, that's the only thing they focus on. And this movie kind of suffered from that. They were very... Um, myopic in their view of it. It was just the one thing. For instance, I don't know what mm-hmm. his, Stephen was what they called him in the movie. I don't know what his name was in real life, um, mm-hmm. but they clearly wouldn't license it to the people who were making the movie. Um, like to see this movie, you would think that he was this guy with a camera and the only person that he ever worked with was mm-hmm. um, this kid was uh, Sean or, Brent or John Paul Lockhart. Yeah, right. It was, he was actually a fairly prolific producer at the time and had a successful website. And this kid was important to it, but I don't think he was that important to it. I don't think that was the story, but that was the narrative that they had built for this story to be. So they built it so that it was like him alone in the house with this kid making porn. And it was like, well, that didn't seem fair. And the flip side of it the other couple that they set up in parallel, James Franco and the other kid, mm-hmm. um, I don't know the actor's name, but who was playing Harlow. Um, I can get that for you. His name is Keegan Allen. He's actually yeah. a tween heartthrob. I think he was on Pretty Little Liars. Yeah, he plays. Yeah, I did uh, the not a show that, that I was a, a big follower of, but I, you know, maybe a perfectly respectable actor. But they were, I thought, the least possible version of them. Like this could have been like. Um, in cold blood, they could have really mm-hmm. like, apparently he was very much abused as a child and raped by his stepfather who then when he came out, denounced him and got his mom to throw him out of the house. He had enormous issues. The other guy clearly had huge anger issues and I don't know how they got together. And I, I even thought the sex was like, really like it was the least possible version of what they did a lot of dirty talking, which I hope amused my neighbors. Um, Mm -hmm. But, um, but they, but even that, like the sex in milk between James Franco and Sean Penn was way hotter and way more explicit than any sex that happened in, um, in King Cobra. It was one of the, the sex that they had, like they did a scene where somebody was supposed to be, giving some giving it to somebody from the back door and the person mm-hmm. from the back door was turned three quarters around facing back towards the camera so that mm-hmm. we could see their face which might be advantageous for the camera but like in terms of the 
the actual mechanics of what they were doing looked ridiculous and mm-hmm. stagey and almost like proof that it wasn't happening. You know, like it was, mm-hmm. there was just, everything was the least version of it. And it was all geared to a very simple, very pared down, very sort of, this is the way we're going to tell this story narrative that didn't really include any of the rich detail that I think was present in this story. Mm-hmm. Like we can go back and read. I, I don't know if you want me to go blow by blow through the story or to do it as we go along retelling the movie. But like there were components to the story that I just thought were completely left out or glossed over or not given nearly the import that I thought they should, should be like my primary takeaway from this murder case and from this story in general is like, and it's the big question ultimately um, of the bigger story. The a storyline is to what extent, if any did Brent slash Sean participate in the planning and execution of this particular crime. Okay. I think and let's give, a, let's give the baseline of what the story is. The, right. We'll just give and the, the bare say, facts of the case and then we'll go into it. This is, uh, this is the, the, the essence of the case is that this young porn, young boy, um, Sean Paul Lockhart was his real name, faked an ID made some porn with an independent porn producer who lived out in Pennsylvania, rural Pennsylvania. And Sean uh, the was guy, from San Diego. He was from San Diego. The guy basically signed him to a contract. He was a big hit as a porn star under the name Brent Corrigan. They had a falling out. And I'm doing the fast version and then we'll yes, flesh it out. that's fine. They had a falling out. He wanted to use his name and to go on and make other porn movies. Sean did. The guy, the Sean wouldn't let him simultaneously these other this couple these escorts and porn producers became obsessed with sean and thought if they could just make a movie with sean they would be able to bail themselves out of debt and they have a meeting with him but sean makes it clear to them i can't use my name brent corrigan which is going to be the real money maker and they basically say we have a way to take care of this guy this other porn producer and there's still to this day dispute about how explicitly they said they were going to take care of the guy. The guy ends up murdered, horribly murdered, stabbed repeatedly by one member of this couple. And uh, Sean allegedly realizes that they did it because of him. He agrees to wear a wire and they confess to the crime and they eventually go down for it. That's the real thumbnail version of the the facts of the case, which are in some sense depicted in the movie. So now right. we can and sort of Steven go into how the movie slash does Brian it. trademarked Brent's stage name, yeah. Brent Corrigan, mm-hmm. which so I my attitude was, well, why not just appear as Brett Kerrigan and uh, like, which is what I thought his name was half the time when he was actually still young enough to be in this business. So, you know what I mean? Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't know how distinctive it was. The thing that stuck out to me, the thing that sticks out to me about the story is a lot of this depends on who you view um, Brent slash Sean to be. And mm-hmm. this is a kid who has a lot of suspicious circumstances around how he arrived in this story. And I think how you look at it changes the nature of the story. (laughs) 
I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors, and you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. <laughs> Brent is either a naive innocent who's being taken care of, taken advantage of by this evil porn producer, which is kind of the storyline they went with, or he is a calculating young man who does a series of really manipulative and clearly well thought out things in order to engineer his own, um, arrival on the scene, career, and um, exploitation and success as a porn performer. He tells his mother, who he's living with, he's got a crap job at, I don't know, Abercrombie & Fitch or The Gap or somewhere, making $7 an hour. He tells his mom he's gotten a summer internship for filmmaker. He wants to be a filmmaker. And uh, he gets her to sign a faked-out release form for him to go because he's underage. He creates a, a, a apparently incredibly credible um, ID because nobody is accidentally making porn with somebody who can't really and truly prove that they are the age that they are. They used to, in the olden days, actually film them holding up their ID and their whatever so that it was clear that they had identified themselves as being... Um, the age that they were, because that's a big deal. So this guy was not a novice. The the film, the producer was not a novice. It was not his first film. He had been doing this for a while. He was an established and successful man supporting himself as a porn producer when Brent even arrives and his his entire concocted version and idea is ID is so well put together that he actually fools this guy into believing that he's old enough to doing it. He then does it. And then he has this ripcord ready to go where he can say, either you let me go or I'm going to reveal to everybody that I was underage by this time. The Tracy Lords thing had already happened. So oh, he knew let me just jump in. Don't skip over recover. one step. He said, pay me more first. He wanted to be paid more. And then when he wouldn't pay him more per video, then he said, you have to let me go. And he pulls well, the ripcord. Well, that's what they said in the movie. Mm-hmm. That they said, you know, that that is what happened. Like, and yes, in the movie, the guy is so stupid that he goes out after making all of this money off of Brent, who has made him this super successful producer, even though we never see any sign of him ever working on any films or doing anything at all. Um, he and he goes out and buys some mozzarella, mozzarella, Maserati, Maserati. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Heather goes out and buys a Heather Mozzarella. Um, <laughs> no, he goes out and buys a Maserati and uh, Maserati and uh, then takes him out for an expensive steak dinner. It's like, how stupid does, was this guy that he thought Brent slash Sean wouldn't get wise to? 
you know, I want a greater share. And then he leaves all of this information around the house for Brent to find. That's ver- that's the naive version. That's naive Brent mm-hmm. Sean gets taken advantage of. Whereas in, there's another version where he was living there. He was taking all the money the guy was giving him. The guy was also supporting him, paying for his shopping trips and everything else. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he wants to go out with the fame that he's gotten and make his own way, even though he's got five more films on contract to make with the guy that he's already in, in league with. And then he says, you know, that he wouldn't pay me more money. And so I left. But the guy who said it, the guy who wouldn't pay him more money is dead, so we can't really ask him. The question mm-hmm. that really, to me, I think this entire thing hinges on, and the movie depicts it uh, as happening, and it's part of Brent Sean's story, is that after a big fight and blow up, Brian slash Stephen called brent and said okay i'm gonna go to my lawyers and i'm gonna give you your name back and we're gonna make this right and we're gonna get i'm sorry i but like my question to you deep dive christopher is Mm -hmm. is there any evidence that that call actually happened because that changes the story a bit like the thing that is really i think the most noteworthy about this story as it unfolds and as it unfolded is that the only person to benefit from this crime is Sean slash Brent. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying he's guilty, but I am saying it is clear that the only person who benefited from this crime is Brent slash Sean. Like, Mm -hmm. and the people who did the murder said that Sean knew perfectly good and well that they were going to do the murder. And he was very much a part of it. And the guy who's dead is dead. And, Everything worked out in his favor and all of his lies and manipulation led him to the place so that he could then show up at the police and act like innocent little lamb to the slaughter. But I don't see him as being particularly innocent. I see Mm -hmm. him as being a very manipulative, very calculated young man. Like one of the things they don't include in the story is who fixed Brent's teeth. Mm-hmm. Have a look at Brent's early days and then have a look at Brent a little later on. There's a huge gap right in the front of his face that just goes mm-hmm. away, you know, mm-hmm. from somewhere. And he may have done it. We may have gone and gotten a partial or whatever with the money that he was making in porn. But it isn't clear where that happened. Like he was really like, like, I think that a lot of this story is left out. And then we get mm-hmm. to the bad guys. And I think they are the story. I think that. Mm-hmm. The crazy bad guys who ended up doing this crazy crime for crazy reasons, you know, have the sort of in cold blood kind of quality that could have made them into a really fascinating element. And they were, you know, one dimensional and camp in their Mm -hmm. portrayal in this film, which I thought was unfair and also unwise. I just thought that the movie missed out on a chance to depict them. I had a good time watching the movie. I'm not even saying don't watch it, but I'm saying don't ask for much. It's 90 minutes, which I always appreciate, particularly if there's not going to be much, but they really don't wade in very deep. This is the most shallow version of this story they could possibly have presented. Sean goes to Philadelphia. He meets this guy, They make a bunch of money. The guy makes a bunch of money, but refuses to give any to Sean. When Sean asks for his fair share, evil guy throws Sean out on the street 
um, totally exposing himself to all kinds of, I mean, it destroys the man's life when he throws Sean out. Sean destroys the man's life when he throws Sean out or when Sean leaves and the guy won't let him go out of his contract. And then he prevents him from working. You know, and everybody in the porn industry is united in their absolute refusal to work with them and mm. inability to use a different name. None of which is true. None of no which por- No porn star ever uses multiple names. Like, I can yeah. think of five that, off the top of, of my head true. without even trying. Yeah. And then he goes back home and he has this meeting with these people who offer to, and he says, well, you know, the worst mm-hmm. is it got in the movie is, well, put your money where your mouth is, which could totally be misinterpreted to mean they're going to sue him for the right for him to use his own name but i think he wouldn't want to be set up with those people owning him any more than he wanted the less he wanted his freedom and he wanted to go and that's what he got and mm-hmm. that makes it really hard for me to believe that he's not a little bit complicit in getting these not the brightest uh, not the sharpest tools in the shed to carry out his evil plan. They know right where the guy lives. They know how the audition process works. They know all of the things that only Sean could have told them mm-hmm. in order mm-hmm. to very easily just walk right into the guy's life and cut his head off, stab mm-hmm. him a hundred times or whatever. So I think there's a lot that this story doesn't get to a lot. I think they do it for story time for, for storytelling. And fortunately my, um, my indefatigable uh, co-host has been out there researching the real dirt behind this story. So uh, as a bonus at our very first premiere episode of True Crime Movie Time, you're going to get the real story behind the story from Christopher Rice. Absolutely. And I will tell you this, and we will post these on the Facebook page for the Dinner Party Show. Two articles are out there on the internet that I think together give you a much clearer picture of what really happened. And one is from Rolling Stone, dated September 20th, 2007, and it's called Death of a Porn King. And the other is from Out Magazine, and it's by a wonderful journalist named Michael Joseph Gross. I'm forgetting the title of that specific article, but I will post the link as well. Um, My sort of uh, headline is, uh, this movie didn't know what it was about. I think when you are doing a movie inspired by a real case, it's you can't necessarily do the case blow by blow, but you have to have a take. You have to have a point of view. You have to know what story you want to tell. This movie didn't have a point of view. Um, yeah, I'll get to the book in a second, but the, um, it didn't, the, 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 the movie wanted to have this, it was strange to me that it was a gay director because it was, because it had this attitude towards porn that it was like funny and gross and we're going to make fun of it and we're going to make fun of even the gay sex scenes and it's going to be sort of satirical, but we are at the same time trying to depict young Brent Corrigan as this sexual radical who wanted to have this porn career and just wanted to ultimately at the end of the movie is making his, directing his own porn movies with what is arguably the largest um, porn shoot I have ever seen ever. And I've actually been on some porn sets and they don't have that many employees working behind the scenes. Um, I looked into what Sean Paul Lockhart's feelings about the movie were as a starting point. And I had been told by a source close to the production that he didn't approve of the movie because he had wanted a lot of money to be a consultant. And he gave some pretty frank interviews saying that he felt he had made a reasonable offer to be a consultant on the movie. Um, and was turned down and therefore decided not to give the movie his public blessing. Um, And this is what he said. 
He said, the movie is a bastardization of my younger early years in porn. And the reason you Uh know it's inaccurate is because they didn't include Grant. And I went on a trip to discover who Grant was. Yes. And the guy's name was Grant Roy. This is a story of two rival grown men fighting for several years over a young porn, the right to a young porn star's name and the right to build a company around this young man. And I'm not talking about the guys who eventually become the killers. I'm talking about a guy named Grant Roy, because what is missing from the movie, well, two big details to answer one of your questions. Young uh, Sean was hooked up with the Christian Slater character in this movie by a much older boyfriend who sent the guy pictures online. He was trying to sell himself as a potential porn star to this Cobra video company. Right. Uh, Brian Cautious wasn't really that interested in him. And so the guy said, well, what do you think of my younger boyfriend? He's right here asleep naked in bed. And that was Sean. He sent pictures. Brian was very interested. That's how they connected. That's how he ended up going out to rural Northeast Pennsylvania to work with him at his home. Um, Brian had been convicted of sleeping with an underage boy at that point. So the scenes in which we see Molly Ringwald, his sister, sort of encouraging him to date women, this had gotten out. It was public knowledge. It had sort of ruined his life. It had sent him into seclusion. He was spending most of his time on the internet, uh, working on his, distributing his porn films, but chatting with potential models online. It was the authorities determined that the kid had lied about his age. And I'm not talking about Sean. This is the first kid. And so he was able to plead to the lesser crime of, I think, corrupting a minor, which was really ended up being one year of probation. So that's the situation that young Sean was walking into. Okay. The other huge missing fact from this movie is that when he and Brian had his big falling out and over right. his name and wanting to be paid more, he goes back to San Diego. He immediately meets this Grant Roy, who is a much older man who, in the according to the accounts of many people who were interviewed in both articles, wanted to have little porn boys around. He wanted to be, quote, a daddy to young porn stars. And so Grant becomes uh, Sean's advocate. And he began spearheading this protracted negotiation with Brian Koshes to try to get Sean out of his contract and, and out, for, out from under the terms of the contract. Sean does not only work for other porn studios during that time, which is a stark contrast to what we've seen in the movie. He makes a porn movie with one of the biggest companies out there called Falcon, which is a two-part magnum opus, if you will, called The Velvet Mafia, which features a bunch of different porn directors. And the plot of the movie is that under the name Fox Rider, which is what he used to avoid being in conflict with his contract, he is being fought over by two mafia-style porn studios who end up... I remember. Yeah. and That was before this was even... Before the murder even happened. That before the murder happened. See, that's such a different story. Anyway... And so there, there are interviews. This is, I think, in the Rolling Stone piece. Other porn performers who said they were so. Eventually, Grant is married or in a serious relationship with a man around his age. He moves Sean in. That relationship goes to hell. He starts having a relationship with Sean, uh, and you know, basically fighting for him on his behalf. Grant is present for every major moment that we saw depicted in this movie, but he doesn't appear anywhere in the movie. He's completely excised from it. Yes. Yeah. Um, What happened is 
it is uh, didn't happen at a sushi place as it's seen in the movie, but it happened in Las Vegas. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at facebook.com slash the dinner party show. No, I meant in the car. So the meeting that we saw depicted in the film which may or may not have sealed uh, the Christian Slater character's fate, whose real name was Brian Koch, but in the movie he's called Steven. Okay. This, uh, this happened at a porn convention in Las Vegas. And basically these guys, Harlow... And it and didn't he, stay in Vegas. It did not stay in Vegas. At this point, Grant Roy, this older boyfriend of Sean's, is trying to get Brent out of his contract, and they're actually making some level of progress you know like they're coming to some sort of negotiation he has continued to work for other porn studios so that part of the movie as we said was not accurate so these models harlow and joe who are primarily running an escort business out of virginia beach they're making porn for a company called boy batter but they're most for the most part it's about escorting they've got a pretty sleek operation They're in virginia beach yeah, that's where they don't identify any of the locations in this movie, but those guys are based in Virginia Beach. The uh, Cobra video was based out of rural Northeast Pennsylvania. And then Sean is originally from San Diego. And oh, and Alicia Silverstone is the plucky single mother, totally inaccurate by Sean's own testimony in interviews. His mother was an alcoholic. She barely paid any attention to them. She walked out on the family when he was in third grade. When he was a little bit older, he made contact with her and moved in with her in San Diego. But she said she was totally an absentee parent. When he gets back from working wow. with Cobra Video in Pennsylvania, um, she's living in a one-bedroom apartment with her boyfriend, so he needs to basically find another place to live. That's when he moves in with this older man named Grant Roy. All of this could have made an amazing story. Oh, my like God. This, this is so much more like, interesting than this movie we saw. Yeah. yeah it's just anyway. Already, and we haven't even gotten to the really the the whole point of the movie, which was the hideous murder. And then, the you know... The nature of this investigation and the national scandal it turned into. Exactly. Okay, so I'm going to read just a few quotes from the Rolling Stone article on the case, okay? Okay. Around the time that Sean Paul Lockhart was filming The Velvet Mafia, the movie I described earlier, which was basically a revenge fantasy, right? Right. His fellow actor, Caleb Carter, had some curious conversations with the star and his lover, Grant Roy, at their home. According to Carter, the two were frustrated that Brian Koshis continued to want control over the Brent Corrigan brand. Quote, maybe we should hire a cleaner, meaning a hitman, Carter recalls Roy saying. To Carter, the statement sounded like a joke, but Lockhart's response struck him as odd. Grant, he said, don't talk about things like that with people we barely know. Roy and Lockhart deny this exchange took place. In a blog that Roy created, he gave himself a chilling nickname, the Cobra Killer. Wow. Okay, so later, 
Harlow Kudra and uh, Joe, I can't pronounce his name. The, let's call them the killer couple, the murderers. They contact Grant online because they want to set up a meeting with Brent Corrigan because they have become convinced if they can make a movie with this hot superstar twink that, that it'll bail them out of debt and it'll solve all their problems because they were living and, uh, large If and high. I may just ask, and I don't know if this was reflected in your research, one of the things that I seem to remember from back in the day when this was first happening and being reported, that also a part of their motivation was one of them really, really, really wanted to sleep with Sean. Like, Mm -hmm. that was also a part of the motivation, was an obsession with him himself. Mm -hmm. Did that come through in what you were researching, or is that something that was added by the, um, the salacious media at the time? I think that may have been part of it. What came through was a jailhouse interview with, with uh, so Joe or Jeff, I think the movie calls him Joe, but his real name was Jeff, uh, the James Franco character. He pleaded guilty. Harlow did not plead guilty and has, oh. and has not talked to reporters. They're both in prison. Um, they both went down for it. But uh, Jeff has since confessed to orchestrating the murder and he has basically said lots of lots of sections of the movie about us are accurate things that we said are accurate what isn't accurate is that we were driven specifically by a financial motive we didn't we just wanted more that's what he said we just wanted more and more and more and i think that can mean we also wanted to have sex with this kid or we thought he was a star we wanted to soak up his star power um have sex with him on camera okay so they get in touch with Grant Roy. They all said, uh, they all agree to meet at this porn conference in Vegas. There's a lot of drinking going on. They're way drunker than they are depicted as being in the movie. Right. Um, they want to work with them. And basically what they say, whatever reservations Lockhart and Roy had, everyone at the table knew there was a major impediment to any deal. And that was Brian Cautious. As long as Cobra had Lockhart tied up in court, the star could not film under the name Brent Corrigan. For both Lockhart and Kudra, their fame and future livelihood seemed to hang on a single middle-aged man back in Pennsylvania. So Kudra made a proposal that struck both Lockhart and Roy as strange. What if Brian left the country, he asked. What if he went to Canada? Lockhart, drunk on the wine being served with every course, missed the implication of the questions. Cautious, he replied, would only come back. So um, Jeff Kareckis drove home the point. Kaldra, he said, these last names are so hard to pronounce, I'm sorry, knows someone who would do anything for him. Roy, that's Grant Roy, understood exactly what was being suggested. We don't need Koch's to leave the country, he said, changing the subject. When dinner ended, Lockhart stumbled back to his hotel room and passed out. Neither he nor Roy called the police, Within days, their lawsuit with Brian Cautious was settled, which may answer your question about whether or not that phone call happened. I don't know if that phone yeah. call happened, but the lawsuit but there was, was settled. But there was actually reconciliation legally between the two. Brent Corrigan, exactly, was now a free agent, but that's something that Harlow Kudra and Joe Kareckis, his name was Joe, apparently never knew. And they proceeded with the murder. And the murder now, did unfold. Cl- did the as third it was person described. do the murder that they were referring to, or did was it just the two of them? 
I, that, it was just the two of them. There was never any any claim brought against the third person. There was never any case that it, that said there. So was their a third claim person. at the at the Vegas yeah. dinner that they knew a person who would do anything for Harlow was just yeah drunk talk at the table. They actually did it. And what were the the specifics of the crime? Pretty much what was depicted Absolutely. in the movie. He went Stabbed. into pretending to audition yes. and then killed the guy and then they cleaned him up and disposed of the body or whatever they did. And, with and there oh, was, set the house on fire. Yeah, set the house on fire, which is, I don't know if that's, I don't know if they had the budget to depict that, but it was quite a fire. I mean, it was really hot fire that they started in the house. And yes, so many stab wounds. He was almost decapitated, you know, really vicious, vicious murder. Close to what was and depicted did, in the film. Had Harlow come from that sort of abused background? Was there, or did was that information also not? If Harlow's not talking, it's difficult to say if that was really the case. But that was to me an interesting component of the story. If 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 Brian slash Stephen became sort of a proxy for uh, for Harlow's anger and resentment towards a, an abusive. Um, stepfather or whatever older figure in his young life here's my supposition what is a matter of public record okay so the hot tub scene in the movie where sean goes over to their house wearing a wire or they lead you to believe that his cell phone is acting as a recording device uh-huh. um what really happened again grant roy was present there were two meetings they were wired up they happened in La Jolla. I don't know why all gay murdery stories have some La Jolla connection. Andrew Cunanan lived in La Jolla for years. It's a Tony suburb well, of uh, San it Diego. Certainly, it happened with you. You've you can't. You're as guilty as anybody. Else. I know. A <laughs> book that's dedicated to me. I might add. Yes, absolutely. Um, takes place in La Jolla. Although you did change the name of La Jolla to I did uh, Cathedral Beach, didn't you? Cathedral Beach. I did absolutely. It's in two different books: Moonlit Earth and uh, and Blind Fall. I, and I think it came to my attention because of reading about Andrew Cunanan and the time that he spent there. I mean, it's a very wealthy suburb. So if somebody's chasing gold, they're gonna. And San Diego used to be a really big center of gay porn. I don't know if it is any as so much anymore. I think condom laws and taxes have driven a lot of studios to uh, Vegas. Las Vegas, because, yeah. yeah. At any rate, they met, they met with them in a restaurant where they basically convinced, uh, com- uh, confessed to having done the murder. And then they went with them to Black's Beach where they again confessed. And there's a direct Where do you quote, wear a wire on Black's Beach? <laughs> I know, and I don't know if they were. I'll have to check again. I don't know if they were. Uh, for those wired of, up. listeners, for those of you who don't know, Black's Beach is a um, well-known. Let's. I don't want to say notorious, but a well-known nude beach um, just yes. north of San Diego. Yes. Yeah. If you have seen gay porn, you have seen Black's Beach because they they shoot a lot of like opening scenes down there. But like Sean Cody does a lot of scenes of them running around in the surf down people, there. People naked people running through the surf because you can. Yeah. Um, direct quote from Harlow, which was reported to these journalists was when I was committing the murder, it felt like I was getting revenge. That's really, I think the extent of the quote that we are aware of. And I think the filmmakers might've filled in what that revenge was about. I mean, in the moment he could have been talking about all the clients he had contempt for. I don't know what, um, the, the, I, 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 we need a minute for, the escort operation they were running in Virginia was incredibly elaborate. They had they had a house where they brought them. They had a jacuzzi. The jacuzzi that we see them in, all of that was for clients. They were bringing in local clients. And apparently the website was so popular that if you searched for Virginia Beach 
um, or Norfolk, I think it was, their website came up. It was one of the top results. And the Chamber of Commerce got pissed off and actually got in touch with them and said, can we work with you to make sure your escort service is not being ranked at the top of our searches for uh, anyway? Well, they must have really cleaned up Norfolk. It used to be the stinkiest place on earth. They had a huge paper mill. And it was like you had to roll up the windows as you drove through Norfolk because it was so smelly outside or you'd throw up from the the stench of it i can't imagine having a hot tub in norfolk and having anybody <laughs> want to go sit in it <laughs> cue the angry emails from our norfolk listeners. yeah sorry yeah. norfolk and maybe norfolk has cleaned it up I, I don't remember i just remember when i went to a competition i don't know if it was in dc i can't even remember where we were going but we were driving somewhere and we drove through norfolk we had the windows open on the bus and we had to close them and everybody was like gagging it smelled so bad but mm-hmm. paper mills you know as paper my family stink. is a paper mill family, and they used to say, my Aunt Hope used to say, mm, smells like money. Mm, that's, that's a positive <laughs> affirmation if but I ever But it smelled heard horrible. Absolutely. Well, their whole business was military-based, right? And that's what was Norfolk and Virginia Beach, is they were yeah, using very military much. escorts, and they were themselves former military, and so it was all sort of like this circle. Um Okay, what else? What did I not address that you questions that you had after watching the movie? Well, I mean, that really sort of like the, from you know, like some of the stuff. There's still questions that I have. Like, I would like to know what Harlow's background was and what he meant by revenge. But it's not clear that the, it's clear that the filmmakers inserted that. Mm-hmm. It is like I just felt like they vilified Brian without really any evidence and you didn't present any evidence other than him insisting on, you know, the terms of the contract that, uh, Sean had actually signed Mm -hmm. being lived up to now trademarking somebody else's name is kind of that's dirty pool, but I don't know that you said that either. Like, Mm -hmm. but, um, I just felt like it was very one-sided. It was a very sort of, this is the way, the, this is the crime, and we're just going to depict it as happening in this mo- the simplest way possible. But yeah, your point, I didn't, I wouldn't have guessed that the director was gay. Mm-hmm. Who also uh, my, wrote my understanding it, didn't is he? that he is. I don't know him personally. I, I'm not familiar with his other work, but I have been told that he is gay by, you know, secondhand. And he wrote it and directed it, didn't he? Uh, I believe so. I believe so. I think and it there was, was one of those writers. movies. I had high expectations because it was one of those movies with like 15 different uh, production entities. And that's often the case with something that's more out there, not as mainstream. And so I yes. thought I was going to see something that was a lot more um, arty than yeah. what I saw. I saw something really camp and really shallow. And shallow. yes, the, the gay sex scenes were... I mean, it wasn't as inexcusable as um, Call Me By Your Name, where we cut away to the fireplace, the first sign of a gay sex scene after that being the whole point of the whole goddamn movie. But when they did have sex scenes, I thought they were sort of comical. I thought there was an inability or an unwillingness to commit to the gritty reality of the porn world. And I don't mean that that means you need to shame the participants in this world. Obviously, anyone who knows anything about me and knows that's the last thing I'm going to say, but that there are there are aspects of this life, I think, primarily in how you get treated by others for being part of it, which there was a little glimpse of. 
But there is a sort of nomadic existence. There's a sort of sense of living outside the boundaries of repressive normality that didn't resonate in any of these characters. I mean, I love Garrett Clayton and think he's beautiful and absolutely talented. Yes, absolutely. He played this like some prep school kid who just decided it would be sexy and fun. And that's not really getting at the the struggles that Sean Paul Lockhart had as a human being, coming from a broken, abusive home. In in the home that he ran away from was a stepbrother who abused him for being gay, a stepfather was a criminal. I mean, there was just a lot going on that was tough. And I think when you make stories about crimes that have affected people's lives, you have to sort of embrace the the full complexity of who they are, you know, and well, it makes it more and a more interesting depiction of what story you're actually talking about. Like, I don't feel like, as you pointed out, none of the stuff that we saw Absolutely none of the stuff that we saw was an accurate depiction of what happened, how he got there, the Mm -hmm. subsequent aftermath. They completely left out one of the most principal characters and a witness to almost everything. They made it seem like Sean went to the police of his own accord Mm -hmm. when, in fact, there were two of them, which is Mm -hmm. a completely different choice than Mm -hmm. going by yourself to the police after having your plucky, loving single mom turn her back on you because you lied to her about um, oh, yeah. being that in a porn film. Ridiculous. Yeah. Like all of those things like compete paint a completely inaccurate picture. And it also sets up Brian as somehow almost kind of deserving his fate, which mm-hmm. like, I'm sorry, that's never a good solution. We may like true crime here, but at no time do we ever endorse killing people as a good solution to any mm-hmm. situation. In fact, most of the time our question is, why not just get a divorce mm-hmm. or whatever, yeah. um, as yeah. opposed to, or as he did, why not just change your name and go make a two picture deal with Falcon, which he did, which was bigger than he'd ever, anything he'd ever done. See, the fact that that had already happened, the biggest thing really that he ever did Mm-hmm. had already happened after the fact. Tracy Lord went on and had a great career after admitting that she was underage in some of her earlier films. The earlier films got taken off the market, but that mm-hmm. was the extent of it. Like it's, It was just a really inaccurate depiction of everything, including the industry that it was claiming to depict. I, I just, I and don't understand why anybody would make those choices for this there, film. There was... Yeah, I, I there was I thought a misguided agenda to depict Brett uh, Brett or Sean as just this guy who wanted to make great porn and everybody stood in his way and the story was really more complicated than that. I want to say this God, too, and this that was that last shot. That last shot was, I think, indicative of the whole film when he asked for him for a touch-up on his ass. Yeah. And, right, see, that was the tone. It's like, porn is so weird. And it was like, you're not committed to this. Like, you're not committed to actually exploring what this world is about for the people who are actually in it. It is based on a book, as you mentioned earlier. And the thing that offended me more than anything was that the credit for the book it's a protracted opening title sequence with a lot of different names, but the credit for the source material is the first title card in the end credits. And that's what happens when your agent lets you get screwed. I'm sorry, but that should never happen if you're basing your movie on source material. The book is called Cobra Killer. It's by Andrew E. Stoner and Peter Conway, excuse me, Peter A. Conway. Um, 
And it should have been given better attribution than the first title card well, in the end credits. Well, they may have asked that it be removed if they saw this film. Like, I don't I, think if, so. Like, I did some research. See, but, like, yeah. the thing that, like, if if it had opened that this was a Warner Brothers picture and then it was the movie that I saw, I would be like, yeah, I get it. The studio executives totally took all of the teeth and all of the gay mm-hmm. and all of the everything out of it and inserted this sort of moral, judgmental stand about pornography. But it wasn't. This was a small film made by a collection of different funding agencies to try and cobble together the movie so you can make whatever movie you want, right? This is the Billy Elliot. If you've ever watched the opening title sequence for Billy Elliot, it's the same as the opening title sequence for this movie. It was Mm -hmm. like... You just, it gets laughable. They keep showing you another production company and another production company and another production company and another production company because it it takes that when you don't have big Mm -hmm. giant studio funding to put together enough to make a big, you know, full-sized big tentpole film. And they didn't like it was, they didn't have to make this movie. They could have made the little arts art house film that was about the topics that it says it was about. And they didn't make it. So Mm -hmm. like if you're looking for some campy kind of silly fun that has no basis in reality, well, this is a fine little movie to watch. And it's also sort of titillating and ha ha. But if you're looking for a true crime depiction of, of a true crime, I don't see that there's based on your research and my own reaction to the film. I don't think there's any resemblance to the true crime here. And there is arguably that this real world scandal made Brent Corrigan, one of the most famous gay porn stars in the world. And by his own testimony, if you're looking for his story, this ain't it either. You're not going to get it out of this movie. Um, yeah. I think that the log line for this movie is simple. James Franco plays a gay porn star. That was yeah. really, they thought that was enough to sell it. And, I'm speculating, but I don't know how much Franco said the script needs to be this and the script needs to be that, and we need to go this way. I don't. When you have a star of that caliber, I would be surprised like this, he wouldn't have seen that it was a better script than that. I, I'm surprised yeah. that he would have made this movie. Like, as I said, if you want to see James Franco play a gay character, frankly and honestly, and pretty sexily. Watch Milk. His character mm-hmm. in Milk is way better and way more honest. He is a much better actor than this and much less inhibited than mm-hmm. this. His portrayal of gay characters and even gay sex is a lot more frankly done in a lot of other movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a surprise all round to me. I, I, mm-hmm. I, was, I was disappointed with this, I, I have to say. Well, for our next, oh shit, what are we calling it? Big crime, true, true crime TV? No, it's not. <laughs> I'm going to have no. to write it on the wall. The big screen crime scene? No. What are we calling no, this special that, series? This is, this is true crime movie time. True crime movie time. You're going to have to get time. a poster in your office until Absolutely. such time as we get into the to the, the theater. Like next week is um, true crime. Yeah, I got all show. that part. I'm saying that maybe club. for the next uh, uh, true crime movie time, we will pick a movie that, that is less disappointing and, and hopefully does, you know, well, I mean, I think case. that's always the risk with this or with true crime TV club. Like sometimes we love it and sometimes we hate it, but sometimes when we hate it, it's just, it's even more fun. <laughs> that's true. But I, I also believe, as you often say about movies that are based on real life, if you are, are, are acquiring literary properties and then changing them so severely they're unrecognizable from the source material, why bother? Just go make your own movie. Yeah, like just if you go wanna... ma- If you're just going to make something up, just right. make something up. Okay. Yeah, I agree with you. 
So next week, True Crime TV Club is back. And as always, we give you the disclaimers that you are not at all required to watch the episode we'll be discussing because it's our job to serve it up for you as if you have seen it already. And spoil the shit out of it. Absolutely. Spoiled right and left. Uh, It will be a Christmas-themed episode of Christopher and Eric's True Crime TV Club, and we will be serving up Season 1, Episode 3 of Homicide for the Holidays. And the title of the episode is Santa Claus is Coming to Kill. So a cheerful <laughs> Christmas celebration to right? wrap up. A, a really light and lovely choice. 2020 wrapping up with Santa Claus is Coming to Kill. All right. So you better watch out. Absolutely. <laughs> Until then and every day after, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Ho, ho, ho. This is TDPS.